This episode is sponsored by the Learn Jazz Standards Inner Circle. If your goal is to level up your jazz playing this year and feel confident improvising over jazz standards, the Inner Circle has everything you need and more. With monthly jazz standard studies, a library of powerful courses, and a vibrant community of like-minded musicians, you're guaranteed to improve your playing every single month. Podcast listeners can get 50% off their first month when you go to ljsinnercircle.com. That's ljsinnercircle.com or find the link in the show notes. Now, on to today's episode. Have you ever felt stuck in your jazz playing? Like you've gone to this certain level, but you're really not sure how to get to the next one above that and the next one above that and above that. Maybe it's a particular jazz standard you're working on right now and you're not really able to play the chord changes the way you want. It's not the way you've been hearing it on the recordings. Or maybe it's just at too fast of a tempo. You're not able to create great musical ideas at that speed. Whatever it happens to be for you and you're playing right now, it could be that you just need to rethink how you approach the practice room and the things that you actually do. It could just be a shift of mindset that will really help you. And to help us with that today is a special guest, Nick Manella from the 10 Minute Jazz Lesson Podcast, who's going to lay down the value, help us get over these hurdles, and we are going to absolutely crush this thing today. Let's do this. Welcome to the LJS Podcast, where you get weekly jazz tips, interviews, stories, and advice for becoming a better jazz musician. And now your host, He's a jazz musician, author, and entrepreneur, Brent Bartstra. What's up, everybody? Brent here from LearnJazzStandards.com, which is a blog, a podcast, and videos all geared towards helping you become a better jazz musician. And that is exactly what we're going to help you do today with the help of our special guest, Nick Manella from the 10-Minute Jazz Lesson podcast. Now, if you're not familiar with this podcast, I want to make sure you go subscribe to his show over on Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also find him at 10minutejazzlesson.com. But Nick is really going to lay down the value today all about how to break past barriers in your jazz playing. And it really comes down to uh, two principles that he's going to talk about today that I think are going to be really helpful. And honestly, this was a really big episode for me to hear. Like This was really enlightening for me. I learned a lot from talking with Nick today. This is just one of those podcasts where I walked away just being like, wow, I mean, I'm excited. I'm more excited than I was before this podcast started. And I know you're going to feel the exact same way about today's show. So let's not waste any more time. Let's jump right into my talk with Nick Manila. All right, so welcoming back on the show is Nick Manila from the 10-Minute Jazz Lesson Podcast. He's a saxophonist. He's an educator. Uh, he is a great musician. So thanks for being back on, Nick. Oh, man, Brent, thank you so much for having me. Um, been listening to your podcast every week. They definitely help me, give me brand new ideas. And uh, yes, yeah, just a pleasure to be back with you. Oh, thanks, Nick. Yes. And I love checking out your podcast as well. Everybody listening right now, if you have not subscribed to the 10 Minute Jazz Lesson podcast, you need to be doing that because Nick is laying it down. Is it twice a week that you come out with an episode? Yeah. So we do a what we call our Motivation Monday episodes on Monday. And that's usually just a short little idea that I've been thinking about that, you know, might help people to reach that next level. And then on Fridays, we do our kind of regular episodes where I prepare a PDF and we dive a little bit more into a specific idea. 
Awesome. And so like, what are some like topics that you generally cover on the podcast? Yeah, we cover a lot of, well, actually something that I'm really excited about that we've been doing for about the past, I want to say six months is we do our tune of the month episode. Oh, cool. So what we do is we pick, uh, you know, a, a very common jazz standard, and then we talk about a specific topic over that jazz standard. Um, so like this past month, we did the tune Solar, and we talked about limiting yourself to playing in one octave. So something, you know, very, very specific. And then what I do is I prepare an etude for everybody using the idea that we talked about. And it's just kind of a good way to approach a tune with maybe something specific in mind um, that people have really been enjoying. And I've been having an absolute blast um, thinking about these really specific devices to use over some of my favorite tunes. Oh yeah, that that's I actually really love that concept, and it's funny that you. I actually love the idea of the octave thing. Uh, I was just mm-hmm. thinking as you're saying that whenever I write music for my eBooks uh, you know, for Learn Jazz Standards, uh, so we do versions for C instruments, B flat, E flat, and and bass, which is kind of a, an insane thing to try to do, but we have right. successfully done it m- many times now. Uh, and you know, that's, that's a whole nother story, but we, there's really has to be some limitations for the kind of music you can write. And it's a great exercise. I think everybody be, should be doing that. So that's a, that's a good one over solar. And then the motivation Mondays you're talking, you're just like getting people fired up about practicing. What's, what's that all about? Yeah. Yeah, we try to lay like a simple idea on somebody that maybe they can have in the back of their mind, you know, throughout the week. Um, And we cover a lot of stuff about practicing because as you will uh, hear in our conversation today, I'm just a kind of a freak about um, spending my time in the way that's going to be the most beneficial to me. Um, because we all have such a shortage of time. So we tend to gravitate towards that side of things a lot on the motivation episodes, or we might do an album review, something that I've been checking out that I think people should listen to, um, or like a particular app or website that I think would be beneficial mm-hmm. to people. Something that's just, you know, practical and, uh, hopefully useful to the people out there listening. Yeah. That that's awesome. So, ten minute jazz lesson podcast. Love the podcast. Love the show. You're doing such great work there. Uh, we are definitely on the same page about practicing, which is a little bit of what I want to talk about today. Is a little bit of practicing, right? Because you know, like you just said, there, we only have so much time of the day. There's right. there's a million things we could do, and you know, a lot of people in my audience, I'm sure it's the similar for yours, Nick. Is you know they have day jobs, they have you know things going on, they have family, so maybe they just have like a little bit of time to practice, right? And we want to get the max out mm-hmm. of that. And a lot of a lot of people in the audience, you know, and I hear I hear all the time uh, from from folks that are just going like, man, I've, I feel like I've just hit, uh, you know, I've, I've hit a barrier. I can't get past this barrier. Maybe it's like there's some jazz standards that are just harder than other ones that are hard to get. Right. You know, how, how do we improvise over those? Or mm-hmm. you know, maybe they're just having trouble playing the changes. Maybe they can kind of play the changes on one tune, but then this other tune, they're not sure how to do it. Like, what do you suggest for people like for trying to like get over, get into the next level? Those people that are like, yeah, I got some jazz skills going, but I just need to. And I need to skyrocket. I need to 10x my jazz skills. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So I I read this book recently that um, I just found to be so fascinating. And and I'm the type of person, I'm sure that a lot of you out there are, where 
if I'm reading a book, I'm always trying to relate it to my day to day. So mm. even if it has nothing to do with music, nothing to do with jazz, I'm always trying to take the ideas and kind of see them through the lens of basically what I do all day, which is, you know, practicing my instrument and teaching about jazz. So I read this bit, great book called Thinking Fast and Slow by an author named Daniel Kahneman. And it's very interesting. He explains these two types of thinking that he calls system one thinking and system two thinking. And I immediately just started to apply that to different situations I come across in my life as a musician. So if you'd like, I can explain a little bit about the two systems and then we can kind of talk about how they relate to my practicing and my students practicing. Oh yeah, let's. So first of all, we're going to link that book in the show notes today. Uh, so learnjazzstandards.com forward slash episode one seven six. So be sure to check that one out there, so you can get that book. I I always suggest you know buying books and, and reading them when we mm -hmm. talk about them on the show. So yeah, let's talk about those two systems uh, and and jump right in. So what's system number one? So system one thinking is kind of described as the the kind of thinking that you do on your feet and uh, making gut decisions kind of in the moment that don't actually require that much thought. So he calls this fast thinking. He also calls it his system one thinking. And really, this is where we spend the majority of our time, like as human beings, right? I mean, think about how many times a day you have to just make a decision that could be inconsequential, it could be very consequential, but we're put in these types of situations where we have to react. So as right. I related that to playing jazz, that's a major part of being a musician, yeah. right? Because yeah, let's think like about improvisation. You know, yeah, you know? exactly. And how many times are you on stage or at a jam session or even just playing with your friends where a situation comes up and you have to react to it? on the spot, right? Like, let's say that everybody in the band agrees on a tune, but then the drummer counts it off 50 clicks faster than you were thinking that he was going to. All of a sudden, you've got to react to that, right? Yeah. Um, you could be in a situation where you can't hear yourself or something like that. So you've got to make a decision on how you're going to handle that. So that struck me kind of immediately as something that happens to me and my fellow musicians and students on almost a daily basis. So that's kind of the overview of system one thinking. Yeah. So yeah, that's just like improvisation 101 there. It's like you have to think on your feet, uh, mm -hmm. you know, not, not only like when you're just, let's just say you're improvising by yourself, right? You have to just make up stuff on the spot like things are just exactly it's sort of like i'm talking to you right now i haven't really planned any of the things i'm saying to you right now i didn't even really know what you're gonna really say to me you know but i'm just kind of mm -hmm. responding to that however because i have talked a lot i guess you know i can do it well <laughs> and i guess that's what improvisation is and then if like you're sort of alluding to too like if you're playing with the band and you know the drummer's taking a solo and he hits the crash on you know beat two and then you think oh some might think that's beat one you know you have to like understand mm -hmm. that and react to that and you know be prepared for all of that right um Absolutely. so that makes sense so where does system two come into this yeah so system two is kind of described as a deeper thinking uh you know it really requires analyzing a certain situation or a certain topic and thinking about it more slowly. So this is what he describes as our slow thinking. And this kind of reminded me of 
the work that I try to do in the practice room and the things that I try to get my students to do in the practice room. And it really struck me because the two systems of thinking are very related when it comes to playing jazz. So what we want to try to do is have this great system two built into our time in the practice room so that our system one thoughts end up being on a higher level, right? And and I think that this can relate to anything you do in life. Um, anything that you spend time thinking deeply about, it translates into when you have a situation where you need to react quickly, make a decision on the spot, the more deep thinking that you've done, the better your system one decisions are actually going to be. So in jazz, this really is very important because if we don't spend time on the system two in the practice room, our system one situations, playing on the gig, playing on the spot, improvising, they're going to be on a much lower level than if we spend a lot of time in that, you know, deeper mode of thought, if that makes sense. Yeah, that totally makes sense. So let's do, let's do an example here. So okay. let's say uh, someone in the audience is uh, they want they're playing confirmation and it's a, you know it's <laughs> fast. It's kind of you know difficult to make all the changes, all these things. They're at a gig or a jam session, and you know that's system one, right? They're reacting in the moment. Uh, but you know, let's just say it was a disaster for them, right? They just felt. Like everything fell apart. They lost their spot in the form. They weren't really able to play the changes. They felt embarrassed. They went home. I mean, you know, I think everybody's tracking here with like that feeling, right? Yeah. So we've all had it. Yeah. So what, so what do we do? So in system two, we need to, you know, really prepare for that moment, right? So that we can attack that system one better. So what are we going to be doing to prepare for confirmation in system two? Yeah, so this is something that we, like you said, we, it's happened to all of us. We go, wow, I really dropped the ball on that. And then you sort of retreat back to the practice room and say, all right, I got to come up with some kind of strategy so that next time the same thing doesn't happen. So let me give you a few concrete examples that I like to use in my own practicing um, that I think have really helped me. So the thing about developing it an ability to improvise or play on the spot is that we have to form the connections in our brain and from our brain to our, uh, the physical means of playing our instrument. So I play saxophone, so I have to transfer it to my 10 fingers and you can't do that on the spot. It's literally impossible. So one concrete example that I like to use with all my students is to maybe write out a chorus of a solo over confirmation. And I'm sure that you've talked about this on the show before, because I know that this is something that all great jazz musicians have done. But what that does is it really forces you into that system too, where you have to think about every note choice that you're making. Does this make sense? How is it going to connect to the next chord that I'm playing? It really slows down the thinking and causes some of those connections in your brain to be made and kind of strengthened while you're doing this really slow work of of very deliberately choosing what to put down on that page or what to play. Whereas when you're at the gig, you're kind of at the mercy of 
a bunch of different factors. So that would be one uh, specific example. Another one would be to slow down that tempo. Mm. And my audience is rolling their eyes right now because this is something (laughs) that I tell them almost every single episode is you've got to slow it down and be patient, patient, patient. Because again, you need to form those connections and you can't form them, you know, if the tempo's flying by at 200 BPM. Yeah. So actually, let me make a little connection between slowing things down and the writing of the composing. Um, there's this cliche statement that maybe people have heard um, that I personally think is kind of true. And that is that, you know, uh, improvisation is really just composition sped up and then mm-hmm. vice, v- vice versa, really. And so I always say, like, if we want to become great improvisers, then we also need to practice composing. Because if we can compose a jazz solo, then we're we're on our way to to actually being able to improvise that. And I don't know about yeah. you, Nick, um, but me for me personally, every time I've actually composed a solo, and I've written a bunch of music books, so I've been forced to do this, uh, right, right. I, I just felt like I got better just because that language was more solidified in you know yeah. almost more than than even when i've like transcribed a solo or learned a solo by ear which is a hugely valuable practice um that's how you are even able to come up with your own ideas right listening and learning yeah. from others but that act of composing uh is is essentially slowing it down right not only is it slowing the tempo down it's slow it's the it's taking your improvisation the stuff that you actually want to play and you're you're slowing it down to the point where you can like actually make decisions and even go back mm-hmm. on some of your decisions. Say, actually, I I don't like that. No, I think I'd rather land on the third. You know, exactly. Um, I don't know. Is that does that sound like you're something like you're, you're tracking with me on that? Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing is, it takes a little bit of the pressure off, mm. right? So we feel this we feel this immense pressure as jazz musicians that you know, well, I've got to sound good. Every single time I step up on that stage and play in front of either an audience or the people that you're playing with. So I really like it that it allows you to step outside of your comfort zone a little bit. You know, it allows you to take multiple shots at, at some of these chord progressions and, uh, maybe come up with something new that previously you wouldn't have before. And it also really highlights your tendencies as a musician. So if you notice you're writing a chorus over confirmation, and and let's say you write three choruses, and you notice that, wow, you know, every time I get to measure four, I tend to do the same thing. So let me try to just change the direction of the line, or let me try to use some wider intervals here, or let me try a sound that I've never tried before. Now, if you're on stage playing in front of somebody, you might never be willing to try that sound, because chances are you might you know, fall flat on your face. But when you're at home and you're doing this really slow, deliberate exercise, you're not afraid to maybe try some new things. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, nobody is ever going to hear what you just wrote. That's kind of the beauty of it. Yeah. Oh yeah. hundred percent. And it's so much pressure to improvise, right? It's just so much pressure. Yeah. It's just like, you know, here you go. And it's, it's also very vulnerable too. So uh, yeah, mm-hmm. composing, slowing things down. It's, Oh man, it's it's just it's so important to me. I think it's a, an excellent practice. So when you're composing a solo, like what what do you think about, right? Because maybe some people are are thinking right now, like, oh great, so I, I compose a solo, but what what if I what if I've never done that before? Mm. So one of the big things that I think about, uh, let's see. So we did an episode on 
Have You Met Miss Jones uh, a little while ago. And most of the tune is pretty straightforward, but the bridge is yeah. really hard. <laughs> it's you know, a it's based off of, yeah, exactly. It's based off of giant steps changes, and there's these unrelated keys and you're just kind of thrown from one key into another. And it's a really uncomfortable thing for most people to play over this bridge. So one of the things that I was trying to teach my students is when we're going from measure to measure, we're looking for good voice leading, even though they're unrelated keys. So most of us, when we're playing over a two-five-one or let's say a progression moving, you know, around the circle of fourths, generally we're pretty good at making those connections because we see them all the time. But let's see, so you're going from the key of B flat major in the first bar of Have You Met Miss Jones Bridge, and then you're immediately going to, let's see, the key of A flat minor, or the sorry, the chord of A flat minor seven. Right. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, go ahead. But two, I was just going to say the two chord of G flat major, right? Yeah, exactly. So you're being thrown into this completely unrelated key, right? So something that would be really good to look for in a situation like that is, okay, what are my notes over B flat major that will lead perfectly into some chord tones over A flat minor seven. And that can be something that maybe you've never thought about before because you're always reacting. You're always reacting to just playing them and you're reaching for something that's comfortable. Whereas when you're sitting down, now I can investigate every single possibility of leading my line by way of maybe a, a half step or a whole step into that new chord. So if you've never sat down and written out a solo before, I suggest that's where you start. Look for voice leading when the chord changes, and then that can lead to all kinds of other possibilities. Yeah, and and just to reiterate too, the beauty of of the the pressure being taken off, right? So we go mm-hmm. we're going from B flat major seventh chord to an A flat minor seventh chord. You can spend one hour if you'd like just figuring out how to connect a B flat major seventh chord to an A flat minor seventh chord. It's just that most of us either A aren't patient enough to to do that, or B just feel like I think this is this is an anxious feeling that a lot of musicians always feel, and that's this feeling of you know I should have been you know I should have had this down yesterday. So you sort of mm-hmm. just just, as a result, just want to rush forward and be like, well, I should be able to just play the two five one to the G flat major and then the two five one to the D major. And, you know, you're, you know, you're trying to just go through it and you might play that over, you might play the entire bridge over and over and over again, but you're not really taking the time just to figure out that one pain point there, the B flat major seven to the A flat minor seven. Um, yeah. So that, yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's one of those things where I think a lot of us think that our favorite musicians never did that. Like they had some kind of just, you know, magic <laughs> where the first time they ever tried to play over this really hard tune, they could just do it. But I think if most of us could peer into the practice routine of some of those people, we would realize that, you know, the reason they sound so good is they spent 20 times as long as we did on, like you said, maybe they put a microscope on one little part of a tune and just spent days or weeks working on that that thing that they just couldn't get. And then the payoff is it's not just going to benefit you in that one situation. And maybe that's why you feel like you're wasting your time. There's There's so much other stuff to work on. 
but it's going to benefit you in a lot of other situations that you see. So don't be afraid to spend that extended period of time uh, on one little thing because it's not just going to pay off for you in that situation. And even just the skill of being able to put that microscope on something and zoom in as far as you can, that skill in itself will transfer over to hundreds and thousands of other situations that you'll come across in your life as a musician. Right. And that's exactly basically what the system two you're describing is. It's Mm -hmm. basically going down and getting microscopic if you want, getting as, as close down as you want. And the more familiar you are with just that one little passage you know, all of a sudden, if that passage comes up in a, in a, you know, system one situation, like a gig or something like that, well, it's just going to be much more natural when it actually comes across. You might even be feel a little more prepared or maybe that little, maybe just a few little lines or an essence of something that you wrote in an etude over that all of a sudden will be like, Oh, right. And it'll just kind of come out where something like it will come out, but whatever it is, it'll be better than what you did the week before where you crashed and burned at, at the jam session and, you know, went home weeping, right? So yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, that's absolutely amazing. So I hear this other thing too, though, quite a bit. So what about people, you know, kind of getting microscopic and, you know, taking our time, like all that's really good. And of course, if we're, we're spending the time there on things that really make a difference, then that's just going to exponentially, you know, affect us and improve our playing. But there's a lot of people that don't have a lot of time to practice. Mm-hmm. There's maybe some people that spend a lot of times commuting. Um, is there any mental things that people can do um, in System 2 to help us out in System 1? Yeah, so actually I, I've been reading this really interesting study a couple weeks ago about mental practice, and it really struck me. They did a study of uh, musicians and athletes and anybody who requires a really highly specialized set of skills, and they banished them from physically practicing their instrument or uh, you know, a basketball player actually going out onto the court and actually playing basketball in the gym. And they said, you can only mentally practice for the next two weeks or something like that. And I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but they, they somehow figured out that the mental practicing was 80% as effective as Whoa. the physical practicing. So that just like blew my mind. Wow. Yeah. So if you think about you know, let's think about confirmation. If you can mentally sort of run through some lines uh, while you are, I guess I wouldn't suggest it while you're driving, right? Because <laughs> that might be a little bit too much attention. But, you know, if you're in a situation, instead of, you know, staring at your phone, just close your eyes and think about um, playing over whatever you've been working on. And again, that really forms the mental pathways. I mean, granted, you can't hear uh, what you are mentally practicing, unless you have absolutely amazing ears or something like that. But just that mental act of continuing to form those connections in your brain, you could even do the fingerings, you know, without the instrument, that will really, really help your ability to do almost anything. So to give you an example, uh, I've been working on giant steps a lot lately, Ooh. just trying to increase my ability to play 
meaningful material over it. Which is and I have been doing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm trying to get to those, you know, faster tempos and be able to hang with some of the people that I play with. Um, And the mental practicing, I've seen this massive uptick in my ability to play when I actually get the instrument in my hands, just from simply doing like 10 minute sessions of sitting with my eyes closed and thinking about all the different possibilities that I can use over this very complicated chord progression. Now, are you thinking when you're thinking about that, are you thinking analytically or creatively? Like, so are you thinking like the actual note names or are you kind of just hearing the sounds? Like, can you describe that a little further? Yeah. So what I'll do is pick, like, here's a very concrete example. I will say to myself, I am going to start by playing the third on every chord in giant steps. Mm. So every time there's a new chord, I have to play the third first, and then I can go on from there. So as you know, in giant steps, there's basically a chord every two beats, right? For the majority of the tune. So it requires me to think very analytically to answer your question. I do usually think uh, on that analytic level. And I would try to figure out, okay, if I'm starting on the third of the first chord, how can I get to the third of the second chord? And I'll just play games uh, like that with myself, you know, either the third or the fifth or the seventh, or uh, maybe I'll say I'm going to use mostly chord tones and I have to be able to connect these these chords together. Um, just setting some limitations on myself, setting some parameters, and then kind of going to town and thinking, about all the different uh, possibilities within that set of parameters. I love that. I'm, I'm even thinking too for um, obviously thinking about the note names and or the interval the intervalic relationships mm-hmm. is a really great idea. I'm thinking for like you know like I'm a guitar player, like guitar players. It's, it's very there's very patternistic like muscle memory things that happen. You could even start working on that. Like you could start doing like the one two three five little pattern mm-hmm. that Coltrane does on that. And you could like literally just kind of like feel and imagine where that is and use your fingers to kind of like just feel that. Or maybe it's similar yeah. for piano or saxophone too, but I, that's for me. I was just making that connection as well that you could even just do that. Um, oh but- yeah, absolutely. The, the possibilities are truly endless. I mean, you take something like one, two, three, five, and you think about all the different permutations that you can come up with using just those four notes. You know, there's a famous uh, Jerry Berganzi book called Melodic, I believe it's called Melodic Structures or something like that. And the whole book is based off of these four note permutations. And when you start to read this book, your head just starts to swim. All right, (laughs) here's four notes that I can spend years working on the different ways to combine these four notes um, so there really is an endless laundry list of things you can do with a very simple idea. And that's one of my favorite ways to practice is to figure out every way possible to flip a very, very simple concept. Um, I find that structure benefits my practicing a lot. I like that. I like that a lot. And Nick, this is encouraging news. I mean, this is just like, uh, I feel like there's got to be a lot of people listening right now, including myself, who's going like, wait, you mean I could be incredibly effective outside of my instrument like that? I mean, I mean, that's, uh, that's, I mean, that's amazing news. I think all it really takes is some faith, but I actually love the, I love this concept that you're talking about this right now, because I'm actually applying some of, 
some of this kind of thinking of the connecting the you know your the neurons connecting to your brain right in these mm-hmm. certain ways making mental connections with other parts of my life overcoming limiting beliefs sorts of things like that that i'm continuously practicing and it goes right together with what you're talking about right here yeah um, and it does require a little bit of faith it does require that like hey yes i'm thinking about this and therefore i'm making the connections in my brain therefore when i do go to play my instrument it's going to be easier right if the more we mm-hmm. do it the more you practice just like if you were actually holding your instrument and it's the same also with uh when you're you know trying to learn jazz language if you're able to sing it which means you've internalized that language then you don't like really when you get to your instrument you already know it all you really have to do is get it on your instrument if you can hear it in your head you you know it like you don't need to even play a recording because you can literally play it in your head and you could just whistle or hum it or sing it back to you yourself to get those actual notes. And I mean, there you go. That all can also yeah. be done away from your instrument. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I like what you said about having faith, because especially with this, you know, world that we're involved in, you know, improvising and what I think is one of the most difficult things to do uh, that I've come across in my life, y- you're not going to see results after one session. Right. I don't know if you've found that, but you have to have faith that, okay, if I commit to this for a couple of weeks or a month, I am going to start seeing some results. And I do find that uh, people that kind of jump around too much and never get deep enough into a topic, so never really um, get to the bottom of that system two thinking on whatever you're trying to get better at. it just never happens for them, you know? So you do have to have a little bit of faith and you have to understand that there's there's a lot of work that you have to put in before you start to see substantial results. But if you just stick with that, so something like the mental practicing, if you mentally practice for five minutes this afternoon and then you go, you know, I don't know what Nick was talking about. I'm not any better, you know, (laughs) at this tune. Well, it's going to take a little bit more than that. So, you know, have a little bit of faith and understand that it's, it's, it might take you a little while. Yeah, Nick, I, I feel like we, we have some challenges for the audience today, some some things that we want them to take action on. Uh, you know, I, I won't say the ones that I'm thinking. I want you to tell the ones that you, what, what do you want people to do? What do you want people to go out and do in the practice room this week from what we've talked about? So actually, let me start by giving you a challenge outside of the practice room. Yes. So here's one thing that you can do. I want you to recap what you've worked on on a specific day right before you go to sleep at night. I want you to try that for a week. So as you're laying in bed at night, I want you to sort of mentally uh, rehash the ideas that you were working on in the practice room. And this has several different advantages. So by removing yourself from the practice room, but reflecting on what you did in the practice room, you're in a different headspace, right? You're not trying to physically pull off. You're not getting frustrated. You're not looking at your watch going, oh no, I only have 10 minutes of practicing left. You physically removed yourself from that environment. Another thing is, again, you're a little bit removed from what you were working on. So you may be able to think about it from a different angle. And the other advantage to this is, you know, when you think about something right before you fall asleep, that's going to be in your subconscious. 
as you fall asleep. And I don't know any of the science behind it, but I've found a lot of benefits from doing this. And sometimes I'll even wake up in the morning still thinking about that same idea with a, a new perspective on it, or maybe some clarity that I did not have while I had my saxophone in my hands. So that would be a, a good challenge, I think, for everybody. Um, and even if it's not right before bed, think about your practice session while you're not practicing. Mm. I love that. Okay, so challenge number one, before you go to bed, or at least sometime at the end of the day, rehash what you practiced in your head. Okay, Any, anything else? Other challenges? Yeah, pick a tune that scares you, Ooh. and I want you to start working on it immediately. So something that you think might be out of your league, all right? So maybe confirmation, maybe giant steps, something like that. And start to work on it just a little bit every day. You do not need to change your practice routine to, you know, you're spending 75% of your time on this new tune. Chip away at it a little bit. So let's take the writing out your own solo example. I want you to write two measures over a tune that scares you every day. Oh. And that'll probably take you about 10 minutes, but you will slowly start to realize that okay, this tune is not as intimidating as I thought it was. And now I start to see some of these connections between these chords that I didn't realize were there. And then you can gradually start trying to improvise over it. It just leads down a really good road. Yeah, th this is so my my style. And people who are in my courses are like, man, Nick and Brent are like on the same page. <laughs> um, yes, 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 love this. Okay, challenge number two. Pick a song that scares you and write two bars a day, every day, until until when? When do they stop? Uh, let's say until you get done with one chorus. Okay. Ooh, I like that. I until think you, that's a good goal. Ooh, I love that. I love that a lot. Oh, that's really good. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, is there anything else or are we going to overload them if we, have, if we ask them to do anything else? I would just say going back to the system one, system two... Challenge yourself to spend a little bit more time in system two thinking. You know, really, it, it's tiring, man. It's really tiring to be in system two mode. Mentally tiring. It can be even physically tiring. Um, but challenge yourself to spend a little bit more time in system two mode and watch how it improves when you're in your system one situations like like we said that we find ourselves in all the time so you know just consciously say to yourself when you have a fleeting thought and you know that there's more to that thought try to sort of challenge yourself to pull that thought back and dig a little bit deeper i think that would be a, a good practice to get in the habit of doing awesome this is so great so, Nick, thank you for all. This has been one of these. I, I was telling you before we started recording that I'm a little behind on my guests, and you know, sometimes that stresses me out. But then when we have a when, when I when I have a guest like you who just absolutely lays down this kind of value for everybody, that just you know enlightens us so much here. It just is like you know what doesn't matter because we have this interview right here. There's so much everybody can take away from this. So thank you so much. Everybody, make sure you check out Nick over at the 10-Minute Jazz Lesson podcast. Uh, what's the website they can go to? So it's uh, 10minutejazzlesson.com. Very easy to find. And of course, on iTunes, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Mm -hmm. Nick, again, thanks for being on. And uh, of course, we'll have you on sometime in the future. 
Brent, thank you so much, man. And I just got to say, uh, your podcast is one of my favorite oh, shows man. out there. And I do not miss an episode. And I, I just really appreciate everything that you're doing for the community. And um, yeah, your your content is always top notch. So thanks for what you do. Oh, thanks, man. Uh, warming my heart today. Appreciate it, dude. All right, that's all for today's show. Thanks, everybody, for listening in. Thanks for tuning in. Another big thanks to our special guest, Nick Manello. Man, what an awesome show, right? And, man, what a nice guy. Seriously, Nick's awesome. And uh, I know you got a lot from him, so, yeah, make sure you check out his podcast. already mentioned that before. And, hey, by the way, if you've been getting value out of this podcast and you've been listening to it for a while, you know what I'm about to say. But, hey, why haven't you done it yet? We're all waiting for you. Everybody's waiting. We're waiting for that five-star rating and review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts, to tell other people why you like the show, how it's been helping you. It uh, just helps the podcast in general. So go ahead and do that. You have to leave a five-star review, but of course, it's always appreciated. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for doing that in advance. I really do appreciate it. And hey, listen, I know I've been slacking off on the guests a little bit. It's been busy. There's been a lot of things going on. It doesn't mean I've forgotten about guests, but uh, we are going to be having some more coming up on the show, of course, still with the solo episodes, all that good stuff. That's not going away. So make sure you're subscribed to the podcast, and I'll be seeing you next week on the Learn Jazz Standards podcast. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the LJS podcast, brought to you by LearnJazzStandards.com. Subscribe to the series on iTunes. And don't forget to join our jazz community at learnjazzstandards.com forward slash newsletter. Hey, podcast listener, would you like to ask me a jazz question and get it answered here on the show? Then go to learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. That's learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. I look forward to hearing your question and answering it on a future podcast episode. LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash ask or find the link in today's show notes.